0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. Welcome to South Valley. Great to see you guys today. Uh, my name is Ricky Hemme. It's a it's a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Um, I have a couple just kind of housekeeping things before we jump into the message today. The first thing is I wanted to welcome back our sailors. I heard we got the Sidewinders and the Nighthawks back in town after <laughs> eight month deployment. So let's welcome them back. The other thing I wanted to do is, uh, I don't know if you guys got time to go and see the, the Lamore High School theater play over uh, at the school. Wasn't that awesome? If any of you went to that, that was just so incredible. So I wanted to say thanks to everybody who made that happen. That was just so cool. And then the last one, it's a little more serious. So um, we know that uh, there's concerns about flooding, Right. And uh, so we've been trying to think as a church, what will we do if uh, flooding becomes an issue in in areas like, you know, Riverdale and Layton and Island District and some of those other places. And so one thing we want to do as a church is we want to try to kind of at least be a little bit prepared. And so if you live in any of those at-risk areas, um, if you could do us a favor and Write on a connect card right now if you can. They're under your chairs. You'll see one under there. Write on a connect card. Leave your name, leave your address. We want to at least get a spreadsheet of people in those areas from our church so we could be there to respond if, if you guys need it. And so if, if you're interested and you'd want some, you know, you want to get on our list, we we'd like to we'd like to be able to be prepared to help you out. The other thing though is uh, we may need help uh, with um, getting a team together. So I've talked to some guys in the church about maybe getting a team that could respond if people need help bringing things out of their home and getting it to a safe spot. And so if you're interested in being part of that team, also indicate that on a connect card. So those cards are under the seat, or you could also do a digital connect card online, but we just wanna be prepared uh, in, the case, uh, in the case of flooding. And so, and just so you know, if you live in any of those areas, we're praying for you, all right? We're praying for you and uh, we appreciate you. And um, yeah, we just, uh, we wanna be prepared as a church. Now, uh, today is commandment number seven in our series, Thou Shalt Love. And the topic this morning is marriage. And to help us get in the right mindset, I thought it'd be fun to begin with uh, just a question. And it's this, what makes you feel loved? What is it that makes you specifically feel loved? Maybe you're a handwritten notes kind of person that makes you feel loved. Or maybe you're a one-on-one attention kind of person. Like I just wanna be, I, I want undivided attention. That's what makes me feel loved. Or maybe you are a cuddler. Or maybe you are like, please don't. Cuddling makes me too hot. Don't cuddle me. Just go do the dishes or something. Maybe you're acts a service person. Uh, maybe you are, you know, make me a good meal, and that is the most. That is the best way to make me feel loved. Anybody? Any amens? Or is that just me? Like that's a, that's an amen for me. Okay. Uh, what do you, what do you love? What makes you feel loved? How do you express love? One of my favorite. Works on love is Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. I'm sure you've heard of this before. There's an app with this as well. So if you're married or even if you're dating, you want to figure out what makes the other person feel love. There's a, I download that app, and you can learn that person's love languages. And we often we often give love in the way that we like to receive love, and sometimes the way we give love isn't always the way that others like to receive love. And so he talks about these love languages, these five. Languages are first, number one is words of affirmation. Maybe this is you today. This is expressing affection through spoken words, praise, or appreciation. Maybe you're that kind of person. Like, I just wanna know I'm doing a good job. I just wanna know this outfit looks awesome today. Just tell me that. Like, I'm wondering, I I like my new Hawaiian shirt. Does anyone else like my new Hawaiian shirt? Okay. Um, So maybe you're a words of affirmation person. The other love language is uh, quality time. Like, I just want undivided attention. This is expressing affection through undivided attention. I just wanna be with you. I wanna turn on Netflix and just hang out one-on-one, or I just, I don't want anything on. I just wanna, you know, I wanna have uh, some appetizers on the back porch and just talk about life. Maybe you're a quality time person, coffee person. Uh, number three is receiving gifts. Any gifts people in the house today? It's okay, you're, it's all right. It's a legitimate love language, okay? Uh, just showing you treasure someone through thought thoughtful gifts. Uh, my wife is the best gift giver I know. She's so thoughtful. She thinks it out. She just knows exactly what everybody wants. And that's just one of the ways that she loves to show love. Or maybe, number four, physical touch. Uh, and it, some of you are like afraid to admit if you're a physical touch person, but there's nothing wrong with that, okay? This is cuddling, touching, and doing other things we can't talk about in service, all right? That's That's okay. <laughs> that that we all have our different love languages. Or maybe you are a uh, acts of service person that's helping around the house. Like, you know what makes me feel really loved is when you do the dishes. I just feel so loved when you do that. Or maybe, you know, running errands, doing dishes without being asked. And, And the last one, I think we already covered it. That was receiving gifts. We all enjoy each of these expressions of love. But there are usually one or two languages that we resonate with most. I know with my wife, for instance, Carly, her number one love language is acts of service. What she likes is when I do chores without being asked. Okay, um, she's like, you know, don't you don't you need to, you don't need to cuddle me. Just go go do the dishes, and I've, I feel very loved. Or she likes she likes uh, when I rub her hands at night. That's an acts of service thing that helps her fall asleep. Me, I'm a simple guy. I like words of affirmation and physical touch. So Carly, you know touch me, tell me I'm awesome, and we're all all good, okay? Our marriage is great. Uh, uh, We all have different ways of giving and receiving love. Now, as we discuss marriage today, I want to remind you, marriage is one of those things where you get out of it what you put into it. And it doesn't mean that marriage is easy, okay? Marriage is hard. And there are going to be seasons where you're going to do great at marriage, and there are going to be seasons where you struggle with marriage. But Commonly, if you're sowing good seeds into your marriage, you're gonna reap the rewards of that. And if you neglect your marriage, then it will shrivel up. It's one of those things where if you pour into it, it flourishes. If you neglect it, it shrivels up. And sometimes it even dies. That said, if your marriage is shriveling up today, you need to be reminded that there is always hope for restoration in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Like there's always, I have seen marriage after marriage after marriage turn around when people finally said, I'm gonna be all in with Christ. And once they're all in with Christ, they learn to be all in with their spouse and all in for their family and all in with the right things. And God has taken what looks like a dying vine and he turns it around to make it fruitful and grow and and to, to make an impact. And so I want you to know today, as we talk about this topic, there is always hope for your marriage. Some of you might have an amazing marriage today and you've had that marriage for 40 plus years. Some of you might be only a couple years into marriage. and You might be like, oh my gosh, this is way harder than I anticipated. That's normal. Marriage takes work. So what do the 10 commandments have to say about marriage? Well, this is commandment number seven, very simple. You shall not commit adultery. This is our topic this morning, so I'm gonna pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I wanna thank you for the baptism this morning for Margaret. I wanna thank you for the baptisms that we have lined up for the next service. And I wanna thank you for each person in this room. Lord, there are so many different stories represented in the house today. And some of us, we come from strong families. Some of us, we come from broken families. Some of us, we live in blended families. And God, you can work through all of those situations and all of those circumstances. And and I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who experience the beauty and the glory and the joy of marriage the way you intend it to be. And when we make a mess of things, I pray that we would find restoration, that we'd find healing, that we'd find repentance and growth and unity again. Bless this service, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we need to point out on the, off, just right off the get-go, and it's this. Marriage, as we talk about this topic today, marriage is very sacred. So marriage, it's not something that humans just invented one day. Like, oh my gosh, that sounds really cool. Let's get married. Okay, This was, this was God's original idea from the beginning. God made man and woman and, and he, it, he designed procreation. He designed sex. He designed the covenant relationship of marriage. This was God's idea. He's the one who instituted marriage. He's the one who defines marriage and he's the one with the, hap, the formula for a happy marriage. And so if you want a good marriage, strong marriage, Start in the word of God. Start with the Lord himself and he will give you the foundation you need to build a strong marriage. With this in mind though, Hebrews says this, marriage should be honored by all, everybody. Believer, unbeliever, everybody should have a high regard for marriage. And the marriage bed is something that needs to be kept pure and undefiled. And so when Jesus talked about marriage, he described it as a forever union between a man and a woman that should never, ever, ever, ever be broken. He quotes Genesis 2, which says that when two independent people come together in marriage, they become one flesh. The Hebrew word he uses here is echad, and it means one, and it's almost always used to describe a compound one, Like for instance, the fact that God exists as three in one, God, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Trinity is an expression of this, this oneness. This is what Deuteronomy says, hero, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is a God. He is one. This means for those of us who are married, your spouse is not just another person in your life. Your spouse is actually a part of you. When you said, I do, when you consummated that marriage with sexual union, you became one flesh with that person. You, 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 your souls were mingled together in the sight of God and with one another. It, 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 is a, it is a sacred thing, it is a beautiful thing. it is a mystery, the fact that two can become one. It's just as the, it's a mystery the fact that that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that He is one God. Marriage is mysterious in this way. And so Jesus, when he talks about marriage, this is what he says. He quotes Genesis, reaffirms the marriage pattern, the marriage design in Genesis chapter two. And then he adds a couple of words to it. He says, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. So that means one day we grow up, we get a job, we get out of our parents' house, some of you want to cheer right now. Like, yes, I want my, I want my college student to know this. Okay, we get, we get a job, we, we move out, we, we become independent, we find a spouse and the two become one flesh. There's a covenant that's made. So Jesus says, there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Which leads to point number two, and it's this. Marriage in the Bible is covenant and consummation. That's marriage in the Bible. Covenant and consummation. Covenant is the idea that we've been designed by God to promise fidelity to one person. This is the... Marriage statement here at South Valley. And so if you go through membership class, you'll actually hear about this too. If you haven't signed up for membership, if you're not a member, I'd encourage you take that step, become a member of South Valley, help us in our mission of reaching this community and beyond. But one of the things that we talk about in membership is marriage. And here's our statement as a church on marriage. Marriage is a sacred bond between a man and a woman instituted by and publicly entered into before God. It's a covenant relationship. I said that it's covenant and consummation. It's covenant relationship whereby God joins one man and one woman together as one flesh, consummated in sexual union and ensuing in a permanently mutually supportive partnership. That's marriage. Now, as I talk about this today, although marriage is a wonderful gift for the Lord, I also want to keep in mind of the fact that so is singleness, Okay. So when we talk about marriage, I don't want singles to feel like, oh my gosh, no one cares about me. Like I'm like, I'm treated other than because I'm single. No, singleness is a gift from the Lord as well. And so if you're single, embrace your singleness. Use your singleness to the glory of God. Make the most of your singleness. Here at South Valley, we wanna po- foster a positive view of singleness. Your singleness matters. Your story matters. Your season of life matters. You have a special window, according to the New Testament, to do great things for the Lord, to invest in lives, to, to have spiritual children in the Lord. So take advantage of your singleness. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Marriage, though, is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship whereby God joins one man, one woman, together as one flesh. And in marriage, we we make a covenant to God, we promise to God. He, he, he watches over that union just as he watched over the union of Adam and Eve in the garden. We make a promise to one another. And when we say these vows and we enter into this covenant, we're promising to never put another person before our spouse. When I promised to Carly that I, I would love her and cherish her, I was promising no other woman would come before you. When she made that promise to me, she was promising no other man would become, come before me. And I just wanna point out that living in a covenant with somebody is not a burden. Covenant relationships are actually absolutely freeing Because knowing that someone is committed to you, knowing that somebody is going to stay by your side, no matter what, through ups and downs, highs and lows, the challenges of life, knowing that is one of the greatest gifts in relationships that anybody could ever experience in this life. Covenant is beautiful, it's not a burden, it is beautiful and it is freeing. And I point that out because some today will argue they'll say things like, you know what? My affections, my desires, they're way too strong to just be with one person. I, 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 I can't do that. My affections are, are too great. But my response to a person like that is actually no. Your affections are too weak. C.S. Lewis, he says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted people half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. There's something better than sleeping around. There's something better than bouncing around from one partner to one partner to another partner to another partner, there is something far better out there and it is called marriage. Which leads to the second part and that is that marriage is also consummation. It says that the two become one flesh. Okay, that one flesh moment is sexual union. And here's the problem today. We live in a culture that once consummation with no covenant. That's the culture we live in today. We want sex with no strings attached. But I need you to hear loud and clear this morning, that is impossible. Because every time you unite with a person sexually, there is a mingling of flesh, there is a mingling of souls. So that part of you is left with that person. And what cheap sex does is it erodes God's beautiful, good design. You see, our affections are not too strong. Our affections are actually too weak. We're made for a better version of sex. We're made for a better version of relationships. It's the version that God designed from the beginning. It is greater. It is more freeing. That's why it says that the man and his wife, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. There was this joy. There was this freedom. There was this security with one another. They they were not afraid of of being ditched one day. They were not afraid of being tossed to the curb one day. They trusted and loved their spouse. And it is the greatest form of relationship that exists on earth. Even greater than than a parent-child relationship is the marriage union. Now with this in mind, clearly this is a challenging topic because we all know, for being honest, what it's like to struggle with sexual temptation. Every single one of us. We've all been there. Whether you're young or you're old or you're married or you're unmarried, you have struggled at times with this temptation. Whether you've been around the church for a long time or you're brand new to the church today, you have at some point in your life, struggled with this temptation, okay? Sexual temptation is not just an issue for hormonal teenagers, all right? It's not. We know this to be true, but we often don't mention it because it's kind of like, oh my gosh, am I allowed to talk about that kind of stuff? Am I allowed to say that um, like my eyes wandered today? I think we need to be more honest about this stuff. This is not just an issue for teenagers. This is an issue for everyone. And so what does the Bible tell us? What does God tell us to do in the face of sexual temptation? Because it's gonna come. It's gonna come. You have a phone in your pocket. You have a computer on your desk. You have a TV with internet. You have people you run into every day. You are going to be tempted at times. And so what are you supposed to do when you face temptation? Now, let me ask you this. Is, Is temptation wrong in and of itself? Is it wrong for you to be tempted? No, the question is, what will you do with that temptation? Now, if you have a habit of constantly putting yourself in environments where you're constantly tempted, then you might need to you know, show some wisdom and restraint and do something different. But temptation itself is not wrong. The question is, what will you do in the face of that temptation? Well, what does the Bible say to do? Well, it says this, one thing, run, <laughs> that's it. Like, if you're looking for an application, just run. Okay, Paul says it this way he says, flee sexual immorality. This is the Greek term porneia, it's where we get the word pornography. He, he has every kind of sexual temptation in mind. Adultery, pornography, everything that you could think of, different sexual, you know, lusts that are out there. Everything is wrapped up in this one term. And he says, if you see it, run from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This is a unique sin. Because it hurts you in a unique way. And if it involves a spouse, it hurts your spouse in a unique way. And if you're united to Jesus in his church, it actually impacts the church as well. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so when he says flee, what he likely has in mind here is the story of Joseph. You guys know this story, right? Joseph was a young man sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. He had that coat of many colors. They were upset. They sold him to slavery. He was purchased by a rich Egyptian named Potiphar. He excelled while working under Potiphar's roof and serving in his household. He excelled at everything he did. And eventually Potiphar's wife took notice of this guy, Joseph. And this is what it says. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph... There, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Now, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. I have a friend named Joseph, and that's his favorite verse in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> he always quotes it. Okay, so uh, And so he's a well-built young man, and, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master, he trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. But she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. So he tried to avoid the temptation. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came, she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran out from the house. And so the big takeaway in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you face sexual temptation, you run. Even if you're running away butt naked, get out of there, just run. (laughs) Get away. Now, Hebrew parents, they took this very seriously. And so they actually taught their children about this temptation. I think that we need to teach our children about this temptation. We live in a time where we're not instructing our children in the areas of temptation and marriage, the beauty of God's design, the beauty of, and I'm just gonna warn you, they are going to grow up in a culture that is going to confuse them over and over again with this issue. And so if mommy and daddy aren't talking with them, then they are going to grow up confused. So what are you teaching your children on this topic? Hebrew parents, they taught their kids. This is Proverbs. He says, my son, be tempted, Attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. This dad is saying, hey son, I just want you to know sexual sin, sexual immorality is a very real temptation. And you are going to come across a forbidden woman at some point in your life. And when you see this forbidden woman, her lips are going to be enticing like honey. You're going to be attracted. You're going to be drawn in. You're going to smell her sweet fragrance and you're going to want to act. And, and I'm just warning you, son, that it might look in in, in enticing. But please do not indulge because son, it Will cost you dearly. The next line he says, Son, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. It is going to cost you far more than you're really willing to pay. Juxtaposed with the forbidden woman are the words of a Hebrew mother to her daughter. Proverbs 31, she tells her daughter, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We need to be a people who teach our children about this topic in, in appropriate ways, obviously. But but I'm just going to warn you, the, the culture is already teaching our kids something on this topic, right? Are we prepared as a church to instruct, to love, to come alongside our children and to teach on this topic? One of the takeaways was run from sexual sin. It's the... Quickest way to make a mess of life. Adultery was known in the ancient world as the great sin. The reason why is because marriage is foundational to the creation order and to human society. Marriage is important. Husbands and wives cannot function fully as one flesh if they don't trust each other. And adultery betrays that trust. It, it betrays the emotional and psychological intimacy that unifies two people in marriage. And, and some today will argue, what I, this is, they'll say, you know, I don't need to talk about this because what happens between two consenting adults is between two consenting adults. It doesn't harm anyone. It doesn't impact anyone. But what I, I need you to hear loud and clear this morning, and I know this from uh, my family's past. I've, I've seen some of these pains in my family's past. Okay, if, if you ever hear, oh, two consenting adults. Let them do what they want to do. It's not going to harm anyone. That is a lie. Because the reality is you are not an island, You're not an island. Your decisions have consequences. Your dad's decisions had consequences in your life. His dad's decisions had consequences in his life. We are part of a culture today that rightfully points out that, hey, we have made some very bad mistakes in the past and we have traumatized people and we have hurt people and we have kids who are growing up with different issues because of things that their parents did, things that that the nation did, things that that impacted them and they never knew how to deal with. And so we often, that's a narrative out there that we often you know hear about. But then at the same time, there's another narrative out there that says, no, actually what we do is completely up to us. Now, the, the, both of those can't exist side by side. There are consequences. And I just want to say today, the pain of adultery reaches much further than any of us would think. It's the quickest way to kill a marriage. It's the quickest way to divide a family. It's the quickest way to erode the sanctity of God's design. Does that sound harmless to anybody? Absolutely not. Our children suffer, our friendships suffer, and those who have been betrayed suffer. You are not an island. Your decisions impact the people around you. It matters how you respond to this topic today. Number three, marriage is a matter of the heart. One thing I need to point out today, as hard as this topic is, knowing that just that word adultery is kind of a, a trigger word for people in the house today because here's the reality. Statistically, I, I wasn't gonna show all these stats, but 60% of marriages today have experienced some form of infidelity. Those are the stats out there. And then you have the pornography stats out there. The fact that porn brings in more revenue than, than all uh, uh, professional sports combined. okay we are an adulterous society. But Jesus points out that we are all guilty of adultery. And so when I talk on this topic today, it's easy to, you know, point a finger at somebody who is messed up in this area and look at how look at how shameful that is. Look what they did when they were away, you know, uh, when they were deployed somewhere, whatever the case might be. Look at, who, look at that relationship they started at work that was that was inappropriate. But Jesus says, you know what? It's easy to point the finger, but in reality, everybody is guilty of adultery in some way because this is what Jesus says. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He's, he's quoting right here, command. Number seven out of Exodus, but I say to you, I'm going to add to this. I'm going to get to the heart of this. It's not just the act. It also includes the, the intentions of the heart. I, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't think I was guilty. But now obviously many, many, many people in this room are guilty. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, you know what's better? Tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, you know what you should do? Cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus obviously isn't really saying dismember yourself if you're struggling in this area, but he's pointing out that this is a grave concern when it comes to the kingdom. God has a high view of marriage and a high view of relational Purity. God cares about what we see, about what we think, about what happens in our heart and about what we do with our hands. And lust always begins in here. Now, the purpose of this message today is not to judge people in the room who are struggling in marriage. I don't want you to hear that today. The purpose is to let you know that if you're struggling, even with this topic, even if adultery is part of your story, and I know people here who have that as part of their story and God has, has worked even through that, I need you to know that even if this is part of your story, there is hope for you, there is hope for your marriage, and this is not something that you're the only person around here that is dealing with this. This is you're not, something you're not alone in. The other purpose is to let you know that it's never too late to reignite that flame in your marriage. I wanna encourage you though, if you're gonna ignite that flame, you're gonna have to do something hard. You're going to have to leave behind what is harmful and you're gonna have to run to Jesus Christ. That means recognizing adultery, recognizing lust, recognizing pornography, recognizing any form of sexual perversion or immorality as a sin worthy of judgment from the Lord. You recognize it for what it is. It is terrible in God's sight. But once you recognize that and you repent of that and you come to the arms of Jesus, there is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You can actually leave those things behind. Even if it's an addiction of some kind, you can actually leave a sexual addiction behind. You can leave uh, addiction to porn behind. You could leave uh, bad patterns of, of relationship behind, but it starts with recognizing, oh my goodness, I need a savior in this area. And that savior is Jesus Christ. but you need to be honest. Because here's the reality of this topic today. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is how serious this is in God's eyes. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, that's that Greek word porneia, nor idolaters, that's people who put other things in front of God, nor adulterers, that's what we're talking about today, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the message, God's message with this topic. God is trying to point out, hey, I gave you something beautiful, you made a mess of it. You, you, you've followed the deceiver, Satan, into to destroying what is beautiful and holy and good, and you've made a mess of it. And, and I have a righteous and holy anger towards that mess because I gave you a gift, and that gift has been squandered, and it has hurt people in the process. You've hurt yourself, you've hurt kids, you've hurt your marriage, you've hurt a spouse that you covenanted with and promised to. And and this is very serious, but the, the verse doesn't end there, okay? The verse goes on with very good news, and this is the good news. Such were some of you. The reality is this. This is how big the gospel is. In every single church today, there are there are people in the room who have struggled with these different things. We've committed sexual sin. We've committed adultery. We've we've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen. We've struggled. We've 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 gone against God. We've rebelled against him and we were unworthy of the kingdom. But when we called out to Jesus Christ, he came into our lives. He transformed us from the inside out. He gave us a new life, a new purpose, strength to overcome the battles of our past. And now we are no longer defined by all the things at the first part of this list. If you belong to Jesus, Jesus doesn't call you an adulterer. Jesus calls you a son of God. You are a son of the most high God or a daughter of God. (laughs) You were this, now you're something else. If you have Jesus, you're something else because you were washed of all this dirty stuff, dirty stuff that's happened to you, dirty stuff that you've done, you're washed by the blood of Jesus. You were sanctified. All this stuff before was unholy, unrighteous, unworthy of a holy, righteous, perfect, just God. But now in Jesus, you've been sanctified. You've been declared holy. You were justified. That means at one time you were unrighteous. You were unworthy. But in Jesus Christ, you've been clothed with his righteousness. You've been washed, you're a new creation. And now when God sees you, he sees someone he has declared as righteous and just and holy in his sight because of faith in the person and work of Jesus. This all happened in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's why I love. Every single week when I preach, I always wanna bring out the gospel because the gospel is good news for everybody, no matter what you've done and what you've been through. Jesus Christ is good news, and he can change your life if you let him. And he can save your marriage. Jesus can save your marriage, which leads to the final point today, and it's this guard your marriage. Let's look again at commandment seven. It says, You shall not commit adultery. If you want to avoid breaking this commandment, then guard yourself. I'm gonna give you four ways really quickly to guard your marriage. The first is guard your marriage by guarding your heart. Now I follow some funny Instagram feeds and TikToks and stuff. And so I know this sounds like a very church Chad thing. You hear about, you know, the boyfriend that wants to guard the girlfriend's heart, but I know it's a Christian cliche, but this is actually very important. Guard your heart. Proverbs would say, guard what you see, guard what road you walk down, guard who you allow yourself to spend time with and get close to, guard what you respond to on social media, guard what kind of texts and emails you answer. Place accountability software such as covenant eyes on your phone and on your computer and on your laptop. If, if you're struggling with looking at things online that you shouldn't, or maybe talk to your son or your your, your child, your daughter about this. Put covenant eyes on their devices because what we're seeing with pornography is, is the age of first exposure is going down further and further and younger and younger and younger. And it's opening up a whole door to things and struggles that they never were ready to, to, to deal with. Uh, guard your- yourself. Start an accountability group. Tell somebody. Guys, tell another guy. Gals, tell, tell another friend. Get it out there. Be careful what you let in, especially when no one else is around. Guard your marriage by guarding your heart. Number two, guard marriage by being transparent. We know that secrets don't work in marriage. Marriage is about oneness That's why personally, I'll never perform a wedding for somebody unless they've gone through premarital counseling. I just won't do it. Because I want to help set that couple up for success and, and, and give them the best shot at marital oneness. And part of marital oneness is getting on the same page and actually having hard talks about hard things and being transparent. Number three, guard marriage by honoring it in your singleness. Singles, you still have a responsibility on this topic. You may not be married today, but 80% of you will be married one day. And so today it's your job to protect the sanctity of marriage. Today, it's your job to prepare yourself for marriage by becoming the best version of yourself you could possibly be. You know, you don't have to carry loads of baggage into marriage. You don't have to. You can prepare yourself now for a healthy, thriving marriage by making choices now and becoming the best man or woman. You could be now in the Lord. Honor marriage now by rejecting the culture's view of marriage and embracing a biblical view of marriage. Build your life, not on the shifting sands of culture, but on the solid rock of God's word. Prepare for marriage now. And finally, number four, guard marriage by doing it God's way. Husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's a sacrificial love. That's a love that lays one's life down for your spouse. We need husbands to step up and to love as Jesus loves. The Bible also says for wives to honor their husbands, to, to love their husbands. To respond well to their husbands, we, we we there are so many ways that we can apply God's word in our marriage, but we are neglecting His His wisdom and His formula for success. Make. Jesus the center of your marriage. Make Jesus the center of your family and you will experience firsthand a greater love, greater desires, greater affections than all of the the, the cheap sex offers that exist out in culture today. God has something better than what the world offers. Don't believe for one moment that the world gives something better than marriage because what God made in the beginning is the best relationship that exists on the planet. Trust him and do it his way. Now right now what we're going to do We're going to take communion. And communion is about confession. So we're going to do something different today. Chris is going to come up right now and he's going to lead part of a song. And so I'm going to actually just have you stay seated for that, because I'm going to come up in a moment and lead us in the emblems. But as he's singing this song, it's about coming to the table. It's about recognizing that God's grace is for everybody, even those who have blown it big time. And you could find hope and healing in his name. Thank you. If uh, you confess, I'd encourage you right now, talk with the Lord, confess. And I'd encourage you at some point this week, be open and transparent with a spouse, be open and transparent with a friend, confess, be real. Be honest, because that is where change and healing begin. But to do that, you're gonna have to be bold. You're gonna have to trust that Jesus can really save you, that Jesus can really heal you, that Jesus can really turn your life around. You have to trust in his broken body and his shed blood in your place for your sin. Reflect on that. Stay seated during part of this song. Pray, listen to the words, and then I'll come back up and lead us as a family.